Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Hey, Betties. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. Hey, hey, Bettys. Welcome back to Geeky Magic. And today we are talking all about stress. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres-ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. And for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box 
free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. It's apparently Stress Awareness Month, um, which I know is a topic that may be coming to you late, seeming as though we are in the middle towards the end of April. But I think that this is kind of silly. I think that every month should be Stress Awareness Month, you know, in the same reason why I gag a little bit at Valentine's Day, right? Because every day should be Valentine's Day. And the same goes for stress every day every month should be stress awareness month. So I wanted to, even though, you know, I think that the holiday or the awareness is a little uh, trite, I do definitely want to bring awareness to what some of the physiological implications of stress are, how this can affect women in particular, and then what we can be doing as a way to protect our bodies. And in particular, we want to save our brains. We want to save the frontal lobe. So I think that, um, when we think about stress, you know, there are many, many, many sources of stress in, you know, this particular moment in history. You know, when we think about the 24 hour news cycle, you know, it's programming you to be scared and, you know, there's imminent death and imminent Armageddon, you know, the ever changing lockdown rules as a result of the pandemic. I am located in Ontario, which I think really should be renamed the People's Republic of Communist Ontario, because, you know, we all know from the data that lockdowns don't necessarily change the incidence of cases. They just by time. So you're basically just pushing any new cases in, you're just sort of punting it to the uh, the future. And then again, there's a whole other conversation around cases and mortality. The two, when you sort of parse through the data, they seem to be unrelated to each other. So you may notice in that 24-hour news cycle that there's a lot of talk about the new cases, but there's not a lot of talk about the deaths because they are too independent, um, even though that might seem confusing, but they are independent of each other. So lots of stress, lots of stress in uh, today's day and age. And when we think about you know what happens when we think about stress from a physiological level, I really want to get into some of the neurochemicals and some of the effects on our systems and in our brains. So when we think about you know, stress, a lot of people will correctly put together that cortisol is one of the big players. And we're going to talk about some of the effects of cortisol. But just before we do, there are some other hormones that I think are worth highlighting. So epinephrine and norepinephrine, these are um, secreted from the adrenal medulla, um, from the adrenal glands. And your adrenal glands are these little itty bitty glands that sit on top of your kidneys and they are a part of your fight or flight response. So you may have heard of that. That is the classic stress response that we talk about. This is you are fighting the proverbial tiger or you are flighting the proverbial tiger. Or in today's modern day and age, um, you know, most of you listening are probably not, you know, in an, in a rural area, 
Uh, or even if you are, you know, the threat of a tiger, you, you probably have some form of housing or protection from the elements. So today's fight or flight is really, you know, break, being able to quickly um, react to someone cutting you off in traffic or when you see your, you know, newly crawling toddler about to approach the stairs to the basement and you haven't yet put up the baby gates, right? These are the fight or flight response. You have this cascade of events that happens that is going to put your body on high alert. And when we talk about epinephrine, norepinephrine, these are catecholamines and they have actually a pretty uh, quick half-life. So their half-life is a few minutes when they're circulating um, in the blood and they are degraded either by uh, methylation. So for those of you that remember my conversation with Dr. Carrie Jones, you will remember the catechol O-methyltransferase or COMPT, C-O-M-T. So you you can degrade catecholamines via methylation, via this COMPT uh, gene, or via deamination um, by monoamine oxidases or MAOs. So that also might sound familiar to you if you are familiar at all with some of the medications that are often used to treat depression, we are, um, when that type of medication, an MAOI or a monoamine oxidase inhibitor is uh, prescribed, we are trying to stop the deamination of these um, monoamines. So when you're stressed, you have these catecholamines that are spilling out into the blood, right? And this stress response can come from psychological reactions, right? So like what we've seen in the pandemic, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, or it can be also environmental stressors, right? So if you are someone who likes to watch, you know, uh, forensic crime shows, right? Or even, even action movies, right? I, I, I realized personally a long time ago that I do not enjoy movies. And this is um, something that me and my partner are completely at opposite ends of the spectrum on. He is a cinephile. He absolutely adores the cinema and the theatrics and going to the movies and being told the storyline. And I jump like a skittish cat, like any sort of sudden sound or bright light or, you know, any, you know, the dramatic pauses and tension that's often um, weaved into a story in any movie, it does not feel good in my nervous system. I do not enjoy movies. So when I do uh, watch movies, it's usually uh, rom-coms because we all know it's always the same. <laughs> like It's very predictable in terms of a storyline. Or I tend to not watch um action films. So there's some, um, some exceptions to that in my personal life. Guy Ritchie, if you're listening, uh, of course you're not listening, you're Guy Ritchie, but I absolutely love uh, Guy Ritchie films, very gangster, but like not so much where I'm jumping out of my seat and I'm like a cat, you know, upside down on the ceiling shaking. So, um, so when we, when the whole point of this is really to just explain that those catecholamine levels can be induced by psychological reactions. So watching the news or or, you know, being really scared of uh, COVID-19 or being separated from family members because of, you know, lockdown 
or, you know, not being able to, uh, you know, open your business um, and make money for your family or environmental stressors that you, um, that you can control. So we're not going to talk so much about, you know, the political and economic um, things around the pandemic. But what I do want to help talk about today is how we can best control the environment so that we can now control our stress response. So before we get into that, I want to just explain some of the systemic effects that these catecholamines and cortisol have um, on the body. So generally, when we talk about this fight or flight response, what's generally happening is your body is basically preparing uh, you for physical activity, right? So fighting the tiger, flighting the tiger. Uh, Physiologically, you may see uh, increases in your heart rate or your blood pressure, your respiratory rate. You may see an increase in your blood glucose levels. And we'll talk about how cortisol is really responsible for that counter-regulatory effect against insulin. Um, You may find also that there is a zeroing in of your visual or mental focus, that you are not able to focus on anything else other than the target. If I were looking in your eyes, you know, if I were to take the flashlight on the back of my phone and flash it in your eyes, I may see um, a dilation of the pupil. You're basically letting in more light, letting in more information um, in a stressful uh, scenario. These are all general reactions of the sympathetics, the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, You've heard me talk about this on the pod before, but this is a branch of your autonomics that happen... um, you know, your autonomics are largely um, uh, unconscious. So you can't say, hey, uh, pupils, can you please dilate? Or, hey, respiratory rate, like, you know, bring it up a notch. Like this happens under, uh, it's like involuntary, okay? And the reason why we care is whether you are in an acute Uh, stressful situation, or it is a chronic ongoing stressful situation like what we are seeing uh, from the pandemic, this is going to have an effect on how substrate is diverted, right? And which systems in the body are going to get that preferential treatment. One of the systems that gets preferential treatment is the musculoskeletal system or MSK for short, because this is primarily involved in either you need to have substrate or energy available to your muscles so that you can sprint to get your newborn from falling down uh, the stairs. Or, you know, in my case, I remember I had my newborn son, he was in a swing uh, and my toddler, uh, we were at a park and then my toddler decided to like sprint towards the, um, the street. So I had my little, uh, you know, my little six month old in, in a swing. And then I had my two year old running towards, uh, the street. So very high stress situation. When you have the musculoskeletal system primed, right, you have cortisol, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Cortisol is going to throw substrate to your muscles, okay? And this is going to take priority, for example, over digestion, over your immune system, which has been a topic of focus over the past year, and of course, your reproduction. So think about your menstrual cycle, think about your fertility, your ability to 
to get pregnant and stay pregnant. And if that's not you know, a goal for you right now, think about how, um, at least I know in the women that I, that speak to me that menstrual irregularities have been very much, I I don't want to say normal, but very, very common in the, um, uh, in the past year where we have these chronic activation of the sympathetic system, which necessarily and predictably affects your menstrual cycle. And a lot of this is under the influence of cortisol. So this is the, um, you know, we tend to blame cortisol. It tends to get a bad rap. Um, but when we think about cortisol, it is it is a diurnal hormone, meaning that it has a, a circadian pattern. We typically see it very high in the morning. It's like your get up and go. Um, and then at, over the course of the day, what should happen is we should see that cortisol level drops and should like steadily lower over the course of the day. I almost like to look at it like a, like a ski slope, you know, it should be really at the peak, should be right in the morning. And then you should be sliding downhill for the rest of the day. With cortisol in particular, obviously it's, it's, you know, increased in response to a perceived stress, real or imagined. And it's also released in response to a low blood glucose uh, concentration. So this is why those of you that have, you know, a continuous glucose monitor or CGM, if you work out fasted, so if you work out without eating anything before you either do your cardiovascular workout or your resistance training, this this is why you will see if you're watching watching it, your glucose levels will spike. And that's because cortisol also has the ability to increase blood sugar through something called gluconeogenesis, which is just means you create your own endogenous uh, glucose. So it also suppresses the immune system, as we've mentioned, and um, it does a whole bunch of stuff like in the short term, you know, very brilliant response, but in the long term, uh, not so not so great. So cortisol's sort of overarching um, job is to increase the net um, concentration of glucose in the blood so that we can prioritize that substrate going to the MS. Okay. Uh, it is further complemented by a decrease um, in the sensitivity of peripheral tissue to insulin. So this prevents the um, the tissue that is not part of the MSK from taking glucose from the blood. So we we definitely want in a high stress situation, we definitely want the blood glucose going to where it can um, best give us the outcome that we want, which is survival. If we think that we're under threat, we're going to throw the the substrate into the MSK system. Um, the other thing it does, and this adds a bit of a layer of complexity, but um, it acts on hormones that increase glucose production, like glucagon and adrenaline. Now, the other thing that it does, which is kind of a chronic effect, and this is important. So acute short-term, we are saving the substrate for our muscles, but over the long term, so if prolonged, right, elevated levels of cortisol can lead to proteolysis, which is the breakdown of 
proteins and we will see muscle wasting. Okay. And this is the reason for this cortisol is trying to um, have this gluconeogenic effect. And if we are under, you know, chronic low grade stress or chronic low grade uh, inflammation, we will break down muscle to get those amino acids in order to go through that gluconeogenic pathway. A couple other things, again, over a prolonged sustained release of cortisol reduces your bone formation. Ladies, especially in perimenopause and in in menopause, truly, we want to be thinking about big, dense bones. And cortisol does the opposite of that. So when we have long-term exposure to cortisol, it tends to favor the development of first osteopenia, which is sort of on the continuum and on the road to uh, osteoporosis. And when you look at osteoporosis on imaging, you know, it's, it's very, uh, looks kind of like Swiss cheese. It's when you look at the, when you look at the bone, both the cortical bone, which is like the outside of the bone, as well as the cancellous bone, uh, sort of the inner matrix of the bone. We see this like Swiss cheese or like it's like pockmarked bone. And that is going to make it more fragile, more susceptible to fracture. And uh, again, this, you know, depending on where the fracture uh, occurs, then we will also see cognitive decline in response um, to that. That's sort of the, the, the body effects of cortisol. It also affects your brain as well. So in the short term, like it, with an emotionally salient event, so let's say, you know, the birth of your child or the day that you got married, or, you know, for me, it was, I have, um, I mean, both of those days I, I remember very well, but also like the day that I received that big, thick envelope <laughs> from the school that I had applied to, I was like, okay, usually the rejection letters are small. This is thick. It has like the, you know, I I was like, oh man, I think I got in, you know, so these emotionally salient events, cortisol will work in the brain to code memories. Okay. So whether that is, and it's usually emotional events, both positive and negative. I've given you a couple positive ones, but also negative ones as well. Like the time that, you know, uh, for example, I was on my son's hoverboard and <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to make it work. And the thing started spinning around and I face planted. So uh, that was the last time that I got on the hoverboard because I remember <laughs> very well how much my nose hurt <laughs> after that. So, uh, you know, cortisol, there's like a, a theory around flashbulb memories. So if you think back to, um, you know, for example, the World Trade Center, uh, a flashbulb memory, most people can remember where they were and what they were doing the day that that happened. Um, And cortisol is um, the proposed mechanism by which these flashbulb memories are encoded into our hippocampus, which is the area in the brain that's involved in learning and memory. So short term, cortisol helps to encode these like really emotional, uh, these emotionally salient events. But long term, again, it's like brilliant system in the short term. It kills you long term. Long term exposure to cortisol will damage those hippocampal uh, cells and then it will prevent the retrieval of all memory. So short term working, intermediate and long term memory. So why I'm sharing this with you is to help drive home the point that stress management is really important. 
I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount, that is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. And for women, a lot of times, you know, when we think about someone who's stressed, we think of someone who's just like losing their marbles or they're screaming or they're red in the face, but it's often for women at least, um, and this is maybe a, a separate topic in terms of our societal conditioning, you know, if I were to say to you like, Hey Betty, how are you today? You know, and you could have like your husband maybe just got let uh, off, you know, you're having a really hard time homeschooling the kids. You fear your kids are falling behind and you're not sure how, you know, the next bill is going to be paid. Like you might answer instead of telling me all those details, you might say, Oh, I'm fine. How are you? for women, our lives can literally be unfurling like a ball of yarn, you know, in the background, right? Just beyond vision, but we don't know how to deal with it. So what I wanted to do with this Geeky Magic episode is to talk about a couple of ways that we can begin to move towards stress modulation. So when we think about, you know, the boss, the the husband or the partner, you know, the kids, these are not necessarily stressors. These are demands. It is our perceived response to the boss, to the partner, to the kids, to the bills that are, um, that will determine whether or not we have a stress response. And so when we begin to change the way that we look at these demands and we can change the way that we respond to them. So I know what you're thinking. Okay, doc, like how do we change our viewpoint, right? How do we not work ourselves up? Like there's a lot on my plate right now. And it's easier said than done, you know, it's non-linear and there's no one answer that's going to fit each and every person. So, um, I don't have the magic bullet. Uh, I can tell you what has worked for me, what patterns I have seen work for many other women. But part of this is you awakening to your own journey and being gentle enough with yourself to allow for that exploration and to see what works and what doesn't. One of the constant patterns that I have picked up and teased out from some of the many psychologists um, and mental health experts that I've interviewed on the podcast is that most of us are emotionally immature. So what does that mean? It means that most of us have a, some sort of commonality in a, you know, one of several core wounds, right? Not feeling like we are worthy enough, not feeling like we are smart enough, not feeling like we are capable enough, that we are lovable, that we are good just as we are. And we carry these wounds, we carry these 
you know, maladaptations, if you will, into adulthood. And I remember when I was interviewing Dr. Shafali Tsabari in, in our original conversation, she said, you know, most adults have the emotional maturity of, you know, I think she said an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old or, you know, some, something like that. And this matters for us to be aware of this, because when we become triggered, when we become activated, we default back to older neurological patterns and strategies that we developed, let's say, as a child or a teenager or as a young adult in a traumatic or demanding uh, situation, right? In effect, we regress, right? We we become that scared, fearful little girl or that fearful little boy who's afraid of being hit, who's afraid of being rejected by his or her uh, parents, right? We feel, if we feel humiliated or if we feel scared, you know, as adults, we might lash out in anger, right? And of course, what happens when we become scared and when these old neurological patterns are being activated and awakened, we regress, right? We stop listening. We stop perceiving the situation for what it is or the other person for what they're saying. And we're just reliving our own trauma, right? We are reenacting what it was like as a child. And this is actually why the news cycle works so well, right? We, they know that, you know, fear works. They know that when you think that the world is coming to an end, you are going to be in a part of your brain uh, called your limbic system that turns off your ability to reason, right? You are just scared now about simply surviving. And of course, the pandemic is a very good example of this. And you know, COVID is a very real thing. I've had many colleagues, many friends uh, who've had it. Uh, for the most part, I'd say that the, you know, the symptoms that I have seen have been mild, but I've had a couple of friends that really like very healthy, you know, one of my colleagues, um, uh, she's a physician, just had the worst go at it, had, couldn't get her oxygen levels uh, saturated. So it, it really does vary from person to person. And COVID is a very real viral illness, but the coverage, the news coverage, the Armageddon, like the, has caused so much duress, right? Exacerbation of that stress response that I was just describing to you. And frankly, for many leaders to make just terrible economic decisions, which directly also impact the stress response because it impacts many people's ability to make a living for themselves, right? So for those of us who want to keep our frontal lobes, right? For those of us who want to keep our executive reasoning center alive and well, you know, the frontal lobe, uh, you know, I've said this before, is the is what makes us human, right? Every single animal has a limbic system. It has a fight or flight response. We are of the few mammals that have a frontal lobe and then even then a prefrontal cortex. So we must be actively protecting our ability to think. Um, and social media, the news, you know, um, if you've watched the Netflix special, I believe it's called The Social Dilemma, they talk about you, the user, right? Using the Instagram, using the Facebook, uh, you are their product, right? And the more that they have your attention, that is the commodity that they are trading in, right? The more that they can imprint fear, the more they, the erosion 
in the part of your brain that keeps you human, your prefrontal cortex. So what can we do? right? So we have a very stressful environment right now. We have this virus. We have a lot of competing ideas around what the right way forward is. And there's a lot of demands that each of you individual Bettys are, have in your own lives. So like I said, there's no one path, right? There is non-linearity in terms of your own stress management prowess. So in many ways, it's like a monoton- it's a non-monotonic dose response, meaning that, you know, as you move along the x-axis, if you imagine sort of a two-dimensional x and y-axis, y is going up, x is across the horizon, you know, just because you increase the dose of something, maybe more meditation or more, you know, walks in the park or more, doesn't mean necessarily that you will heal more, but one of your missions you know, should you choose to accept it, is to actually give yourself the freedom to explore with different techniques and practices that are going to work for you so that you can gently and consistently use them over time. And I say this a lot and I'm directly talking to my type A baddies here. Okay. Because I know, because I am you. <laughs> when I, when I read first about meditation, I was like, oh, well, if it's really good, then I should probably be doing it for like an hour a day. Right. And of course an hour a day is great, but doing it an hour every day is not, you know, feasible, at least for me in my life. And there's an opportunity cost as well. Right. So I think sometimes we, when we, when we think about a solution, my type A Bettys, my boardroom Bettys, as I like to secretly call you, you like to go all in. You're like, okay, I'm putting all my chips on this one thing. If meditation is going to help my stress management, then I'm just going to do it all day long. Right. And there is a, as I was saying, this non-monotonic dose response, there is a certain, I like to sort of look at it as like a U curve, like an inverted U curve, like too little of the intervention is probably not going to give you enough benefit. There's sort of a middle ground where you're going to get, you know, the maximum dose of that benefit. And then as you move along that X axis, you know, more of it is not necessarily going to be linearly improving uh, the way that it once was. So there's more of like a, you know, inverted you uh, really to some of these techniques that we're going to talk about. So, so the first thing is to Give yourself the freedom, right? You are going to play with different techniques and practices that are going to work for you. And you are going to be gentle with yourself. That is, you have to pinky promise me that you are going to be gentle with yourself or else there's no point if you are beating yourself up because you didn't meditate today. I mean, that's sort of, you know, you're you're going two steps forward, three steps back. So And you even might find that for using meditation as this example, you may find it works at only a particular time of day, you know, maybe uh, taking a walk in the afternoon versus meditating is better for you, or maybe left nostril breathing, you know, works at another time, et cetera. So um, I would say, give yourself permission, give yourself some space and almost why don't you just like make yourself a list of all the things that you can think of that make you happy, things that are free right? There's lots of things that we can do. You know, like the old song goes, the best things in life are free, right? The best things and some of the best things in life are free. And I'm, I apologize for my singing, <laughs> but you know, some of the best things that are going to help your stress response are free and available to everybody. And some of them may cost some money, 
And you can oscillate, right? You can choose uh, and start with some of the things that bring you joy, that make you feel happy. And, you know, as you grow and as you learn how to become more aware of that stress response or when you're feeling activated, you can try different things to overlay on top of that, you know? Okay. So a couple things. Um, I think one of the first things that most people should be engaging in is setting boundaries for the news and for social media use. I think that a lot of what I see and what I hear people reporting to me is that they use social media as a self-placating or self-soothing tool. So when they're feeling really stressed, they're like, oh, I'm just going to go and scroll on Instagram. Right. Um, so before you use any social media, whether that's Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever it is, I think that defining your boundaries around its use are incredibly important. So how often are you going to go on Instagram? Is it once a day? Is it 10 times a day? Like how, and you know, there's no right or wrong answer and there's no judgment, whatever that number is for you, but defining for yourself how often you are going to go on um, social media, I think is important. And for each time that you go on, let's say, you know, to Instagram, how long are you going to be on there for? Are you going to spend five minutes? Is it going to be 10 minutes? Is it going to be an hour? You know, again, no right or wrong answer, but I want you to be able to define what you, how you want to use this tool so that this tool is not using you. What is the purpose? Are you getting news information? Is it just pleasure? You want to see what your friends are up to? Otherwise, and this has happened to me, so full transparency, right? Full honesty. I've been, I've gone down these like crazy rabbit holes on Instagram and I look up and I'm like, oh my God, I've been on here for 45 minutes. How did this happen? So, you know, it's crazy how time seems to bend when you're in this, in this matrix. So defining your boundaries around social media use and what you're letting in again, back to that protecting your brain. Whenever you see, you know, news headlines or, uh, she wore like who wore it better or whatever, they are trying to activate outrage in you right? It's like this rage porn, like, oh my, and there's, you know, there's many doctors that I see that really like to enact this like injustice and this rage porn. And quite frankly, like they're part of the problem, right? I mean, you can educate people, but there's, there's, there's a delicate line. I think that people that we can very easily cross, you know, doctor or not, where if you are seeking to inform versus seeking to enrage, um, and I'm not saying that, that there should not be, um, you know, certain social issues, I think warrant, uh, a, a complete revamping. Uh, that's very, very important, but when you are, when we are thinking about how we can manage, how we can best contribute, you know, whether that is to our families, to our communities, you know, going down this rage porn uh, rabbit hole, I think can be incredibly dangerous to your physiology. And then over the long term, you know, is going to affect you so that you can't enact the change that you are looking to be and seek out in, in the world. So it is very important that you protect yourself so that you can be a leader and you can be a contributor to the change that you want to see. So defining your boundaries for social media. Um, I personally have absolutely no news in my home. I don't care if it's left, 
I don't care if it's right. You know, in my opinion, every news channel is bought. Um, so it's like a colossal waste of time. But if that is important for you, again, and I love and honor any choice that you make, as long as you have an informed consent around the use. So defining your boundaries around news, you know, about consuming the news and understanding that the information that you may be receiving is not the entire picture. So that's my news and social media takedown rant, uh, if you will. A couple of other things that I have found incredibly helpful and very, very loving and nurturing to the frontal lobe is walking. And this can be done, you know, indoors on a, on a treadmill. It can be done outdoors. That's the free version. Um, and I think, you know, sunglasses off, you know, face up to the sky, getting some sunshine, I think is really important, but just that general movement, like that general, um, low grade walking, is going to bring a lot of blood into that frontal lobe. It tends to, that's actually one of the most parasympathetic actions that we can take as humans. You know, we often think, oh gosh, I'm so stressed. Like I'm, you know, I'm going to sit on the couch and I'll watch, you know, Netflix or I'll sit on the couch and, you know, air quotes, relax, but you are, you know, sitting or even lying, you're partially flexed, right? So we want to think about how we can activate our extensors. And we do that through walking because we're using our glutes, we're using our back, you know, we're using our arms to swing. So there's a lot of brain activity there. It's very, very soothing, very, very healthy for the brain. Um, prioritizing sleep as much as you can. So I have very hard boundaries. I've, you know, as a woman, my sleep cycle is longer than that of my partner and just men in general. So I go to bed a little earlier than everybody else. Um, so I get my kids, you know, they do their evening routine and then I'm, I'm in bed a little earlier than, um, than my partner. So sleep is really important and we'll do a separate geeky magic on, on sleep hygiene, but suffice it to say, some of the best practices that you can do is making your, you know, reducing your coffee use, making sure that, you know, you're not having coffee too late into the night, making sure that you're not in front of blue light, right? Technology is vi- like excessive use of technology and the blue light that it, that it emits is very toxic to the frontal lobe. Um, exercising. So we talked about walking. Exercising is a great stress reduction. Whenever I am feeling, uh, you know, I typically work out in the morning, but I put all of my worries into my resistance training. So I become a beast. Uh, Sometimes my partner's like, oh my God, where did you go? (laughs) You know, like all my mind is like in my muscle and all of the, you know, anger that I might have or rage or pain or sadness or fear or, you know, whatever um, I put into that workout. And I feel like I leave it, uh, you know, in the weights on the gym floor. So that's a really great way to reduce stress as well. And you know that I'm not going to talk about stress reduction without mentioning the big O, right? The places, oh, 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 the places you will go with the big O. Orgasming is one of the best things that a woman can do to reduce her stress response. Parasympathetics, improving the heart rate, improving the respiratory rate, improving your oxygen saturation, improving all the things, not to mention that it feels really great. This is one of the best things that we can do as women to help. And this is not a comprehensive list, right? So we've talked 
talked about, you know, meditation, getting out in nature, going for a walk, no news, no social media, exercising, orgasming, sleep, um, left nostril breathing, uh, you know, really just closing off the right nostril and breathing through the left. Um, cyclically, um, typically I like to um, draw from Emily Fletcher. She's been on the podcast a couple of times of Ziva meditation and enact the two X breath. So inhaling for, or sorry, exhaling for twice as long as you inhale. Uh, you can do that left nostril breathing or both nostrils can be um, engaged. There are so many things, you know, buying yourself some flowers, like, you know, at the time of this recording today, I went out with my partner and, uh, I don't normally have cappuccinos, but, um, I treated myself to a cappuccino and it was a small little thing, but it was just, you know, uh, it was joy in a cup. And I really, you know, enjoyed every, every moment of it. So what I would like to leave you with is in a, in a, an assignment, if you will, is to kind of put together what that stress reduction slash joy list might be for you. So if you take a paper, you know, go old school, you know, divide it in half on the left side is stress reduction and on the right side is joy amplification, right? So we have stress reduction on the one side and maybe you have the meditation there, the left nostril breathing, the sleep hygiene and joy amplification. Maybe orgasms go there, maybe buying yourself a cappuccino uh, once a week or, um, you know, things that bring whatever it is that bring you joy. Um, for me, I just signed up for some shuffle dancing <laughs> uh, classes and these bring me so much joy because first of all, I suck and it's really hilarious to tr watch myself in the mirror as I'm trying these moves, but it's also really fun for me to try and learn uh, something new. So that brings me a lot of joy. So I want you to think about what your joy amplification might be and how you can put boundaries around and, you know, helping your stress management so that we can truly get through this together, not just the, you know, pittances that you hear sort of politicians um, constantly saying, but the real pandemic that I, that I worry about and that I think about is mental health and suicides and the impact, you know, not even getting into the impact on the economy, but I, I feel that the amount of um, stress that we've all collectively been through this, like it can be a reactivation of trauma from a younger time. And I really want to help uh, if I'm able to in any small way to help you start to think about how you in your everyday life can begin to improve your stress. So I'll leave that, I'll leave this geeky magic here and I'll give you one more assignment. If you have, if you put together your stress reduction and joy amplification list, or even if you just think of one thing, tag me on Instagram, you know, either doing the thing, whether it's going for a walk or, you know, doing your nails or, you know, whatever is bringing you joy, however you are reducing your stress and tag me in it. I would love to see how, how you are doing it. And if there's ways that I can support you, I absolutely will. Okay, my Bettys. So that is it for me for Geeky Magic for this week. I hope that you have a wonderful one and we'll see you here. Same bad time, same bat channel next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic carpet ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast, 
And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. 